It is Pentecost Sunday today, uh, and uh, I, it's, I think, important for you to know what this is and for you to understand how this impacts your life today. And so I want to answer a question. Uh, this is actually one of the questions on the Alpha course that we've used many times in our church online. And the question of how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Maybe you've heard this expression before in church settings and it's a little confusing to you. We've just finished a series on the fruit of the Spirit from the book of Galatians. And we're talking about the presence of the Spirit and walking in the Spirit and all of these different things that are necessary if you want to have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And we learned about that. And uh, there's a little passage in the book of Galatians, actually, that Paul, uh, he's writing to them. And he, he argues to them uh, uh, because, you know, they're, they're starting to get legalistic and they're starting to believe the ideas that, well, you have to follow all these rules and these regulations and these laws in the first five books of the Bible that you heard uh, uh, little Eliam uh, tell you the titles of those books, and Paul was like, no, that's not going to justify you before God. It is your faith in Jesus that justifies you. And he says there, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you, implying the power of the spirit because you observe the law? Or because you believe what you heard. And this again is his argument. But note that phrase. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you? So I want to talk to you about the power of the spirit today. And how can you in the 21st century be filled with the spirit this day of Pentecost uh, 2022? So a lot of times in church settings, people hear the word Pentecost or Pentecostal, and uh, our church is part of the uh, Canadian, uh, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. This is the largest evangelical uh, movement in Canada. But really, Pentecostalism is uh, a large, large group uh, around the world. In fact, in in the church or in Christendom, if you want to use that term, it's almost always true that the fastest growing uh, uh, type of belief system within Christianity is Pentecostalism. And so there are Pentecostal churches around the world, millions of them. Uh, and not so much here in the West in North America, but in other parts of the world, the Pentecostal movement is exploding. And it, that's what tends to, to happen uh, statistically. And so maybe you hear this word Pentecost, Pentecostal, you say, well, what is it? Um, the history of the whole thing, this is actually a Jewish holiday, okay? It's not celebrated by some uh, types of, of Jews, like it's more the conservative and the, the ultra-Orthodox who will celebrate this this uh, day in Judaism, in more secular Jewish households or liberal Jewish households, is not really celebrated, not really acknowledged. But this is a big deal in the Bible, 
Okay, so I'm going to go with the Bible and explain to you a bit of the background of it so that you understand what happens in this famous day of Pentecost and answer this question, okay, how can I then be filled with the Spirit? In Hebrew, you say Shavuot, and Shavuot means weeks, or we, it's called sometimes in the Old Testament the Feast of Weeks in English, and in Greek, we get that the word is Pentecost. And Pentecost is after 50. So you, what you have in the Old Testament, and uh, I'll just pick a verse from Deuteronomy, which Eliam said the title of Deuteronomy in such a cute fashion there. But I'll read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 16. Uh, and this is one of the commands to celebrate what was called the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost or Shavuot. And it would culminate on this day of Pentecost. Uh, count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. It's an agricultural holiday. It's a, a celebration of God's harvest, this holiday. Then celebrate the Feast of Weeks to the Lord, your God, by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given to you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for your name. You, your sons, your daughters, your men servants, your maidservants, the Levites in your towns and the aliens, the fatherless, the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. It was meant to be what's called a pilgrimage feast. The people had to go to the temple, the place in that time where the Lord God dwelled, and they presented this special offering, and it was timed to be uh, seven weeks plus a day. It's a complex calculation if you look in Leviticus and so on. But basically the way to think about it is 50 days after Passover, this thing would be celebrated. And it was a celebration. It was a celebration of the harvest uh, of God's uh, bounty to the people, the wheat, the barley. There was a special wave offering that was presented to God. And so this is what the people did. And if you inspect the Old Testament and you look at the details of this, you had the Passover, then you had the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and then you have what's called the Day of First Fruits, and then you have this Pentecost thing. And so every year the Jewish people would have to go to Jerusalem, to the temple for this specific holiday. They did this for Passover, they did this for uh, Pentecost, and they did it for another holiday. We'll see if there's any, anybody in the room or online who knows the third one. Boy, if I, had a free, if I had an iPad, I'd probably pull it out for this prize. Unleavened bread? No. Good try, though. What's that? Who said that? Who said Feast of Tabernacles? That's right or Sukkot, what, it's, what it was called. So those three holidays, they had to go to the temple. So here we are in, you know, this is Deuteronomy, this is the Old Testament. You say, well, who cares? You haven't answered my question. How can I be filled with the Spirit? So you zip over to the book of Acts uh, and chapter 2, really chapter 1 and chapter 2, and you see what happens 
50 days after Jesus had risen from the dead. The whole event of Jesus' execution and resurrection takes place on the Passover. It seems deliberately so. Uh, we see this is, a, uh, according to the writers of the New Testament, it's almost like a fulfillment of the picture of Passover. Jesus becomes our Passover lamb. Uh, the first fruits, remember the day of first fruits, the first fruits of those who have risen from the dead. And the whole thing seems to be timed perfectly for the Passover. As if God is trying to show the people that Jesus is the atonement for their sins. He is the one who brings them out of slavery to sin rather than slavery to Egypt. Slavery to sin. God brings them out. It's his blood on the cross as opposed to the blood over the doorposts of the Hebrew homes. You see all of these kind of types and shadows fulfilled according to the writers of the New Testament in Jesus. And then 50 days after this, you see these events take place on the day of Pentecost, the culmination of this harvest holiday. And I will call this God's audio-visual display. We've got audio going in this auditorium. We've got video going in this auditorium. People come to this building for audio-visual display. You know, they want to be blown away by what they see and what they hear. Just to let you know, I'm very much looking forward to the Jurassic Park movie coming out next weekend. I don't know if there's any dinosaur fans in the room, but I love dinosaurs. Doesn't matter to me if the movie is good or bad. I just want to see the dinosaurs. Blow me away. Give me an audio-visual display of dinosaurs. And while I don't see him in the room, but I think I see his wife in the room. Amy, is that you? Okay, well, just, just to, as an aside, um, we have somebody who attends our church. He's not here. His wife is here right now. And he actually does special effects for Hollywood movies. Uh, digital, he's in the digital art thing, and he w works on things in the physical world, you know, smoke and, and water and these kinds of things, I think. I don't want to, but anyway, he, he worked on Top Gun Maverick. So if you watch Top Gun Maverick, we have somebody in our church who actually did some of the digital special effects and so on for that, okay? Blow me away, give me an audio-visual display. Here in the book of Acts chapter 2, you see God's very intentional audio-visual display on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, they know this, the Jewish holiday, you've got thousands upon thousands of Jews converging on the city of Jerusalem. They were there 50 days earlier for Passover. Maybe they hung around, maybe they came from out of town later, maybe they came and went. Either way, we don't know, but there's thousands upon thousands of them there. They are going to make an appearance at the temple, all of them. So you have a huge, huge uh, uh, activity in the city. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. The they there is a group of believers that we see in Acts chapter 1. 
uh, you've got uh, the apostles there, but you also have a group that's with them that numbers up to 120 people. So the they is referring to at least the apostles, if not the whole group of approximately 120. They were all together in one place. We don't know what place. Some people say it was a house, but if it was a house, they're supposed to be out in the temple, especially at the hour that this is going to take place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. Notice it doesn't say that there was wind. It says there was a sound like a violent wind. So this is an audio, audio uh, uh, that's happening here. There is a violent wind sound seemingly from heaven. In other words, there's something supernatural happening according to the writer that filled the whole house. We don't know what house. We don't know where. Some people say it's the so-called upper room that's mentioned in Acts chapter 1. But again, these people are supposed to be out in the temple courts at this time. Is it a place near the temple courts? Perhaps it is. Maybe it started in a house and then they left the house. We don't know where they were sitting and they saw, here's the visual, what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues or languages, very odd, as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, so this is a very intentional audio-visual display from God. And I think you'll probably know why when you start thinking about it a little bit. You have this first, this sound of a violent wind. Tell me what you know about what the Bible says about wind, or even what Jesus said about wind. Right, so Jesus in John chapter 3, uh, he talks about being born of the Spirit. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it's going or where it's coming from. And he used this as a metaphor to talk about the Spirit. And there are illustrations that you see in the Old Testament about the Holy Spirit and wind. Even the word a ruach in the Old Testament, pneuma in the New Testament, this means wind, breath, spirit. So here you have this sound which they would say, whoa, there's obviously something that's supernatural that's happening here. And this obviously has to do something with the power and presence of the spirit because that's the imagery that they were used to from the Old Testament. That's what they would have been taught as little children and so here you have this audio display but then you've got a visual display going on there and there's this fire now tell me what you know about fire from the old testament 
Moses, right? He goes up on the mountain and there's a fire there. He's leading the people out in the desert. There's a fire that's guiding them. They build the tabernacle. There is a fire that signifies the presence, the supernatural living presence of God is clearly, clearly shown to them by fire. When Moses was out in the, in the desert and he's called uh, in Exodus chapter 3, there's a burning bush that keeps on burning. It's fire. So here we have fire, but there's something odd about this fire. It's not on the temple. It's not uh, on a tabernacle. There's no tabernacle then. Of course, there's a temple. There's not one pillar but it's, it spreads and comes on visually on each individual person. This is a very intentional audiovisual display because what it's showing is that the presence and power of God is now on the individual rather than on a place. So the individual becomes the place of the living presence and power of God. That's what's being shown off here. So God, in a sense, is giving us a special effects display. <laughs> in a sense, he's being, being very, this very deliberate imagery here. So what is being said at the harvest celebration is that there is a harvest now of people and each person becomes the temple both individually and collectively of the presence and the power of God that is if you're back in the first century and you see that that's very cool very, very cool. You, you would say, wow, that, I got my money's worth on that one. That is a real audio-visual display. And then to go even further, you've got these people with this wind and this fire, and then they start speaking in these other languages. The odd thing about this is, of course, you've got thousands upon thousands of visitors who are Jewish, but they're from out of town. They live in other provinces. They even live over, over the, uh, the, the ocean, and they've got to travel long, long distances to come to Jerusalem, and they're from all over the place. They come together. This has got to be done somewhere in the public square uh, uh, in the temple area, maybe it's in the temple courts, but it's got to be somewhere there because that's where they were supposed to be. So this is not isolated in some little house with 120 people jammed in there like some little house church and then all of a sudden everybody's hearing it. It's got to be outside somewhere. And so they hear this sound they, they, and they're stunned because they hear these people who haven't ever left, these are Galilean people apparently, and they, and they haven't left their, their uh, place of, of birth, and yet they're speaking in these languages that they could not have possibly known. And Luke identifies several different places, you know, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia. This is a long way away. 
Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene. You can find all these things on a, on a map of the first century uh, area at that time. And so the, they're saying, well, it's impossible. How are these locals supposed to know these languages? We know what they're saying. They're declaring the wonders of God, but they're doing it in our languages. Doesn't make any sense. This is bizarre. Uh, and they laugh, and they make fun of it, and they say these people must have had a little too much wine. They must be, they must be uh, drunk. They must be inebriated. Okay? I'll, let you, I'll let you worry about whether or not alcohol had, wine had alcohol in it back in the first century. Okay? So the, this, this is their response. They say these people must be drunk. So Peter stands up, and he says, they're not drunk, it's only the equivalent of 9 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to tell you what happens. I'm going to tell you what this is. And he gets up and he teaches them out of the book of Joel, chapter 2. And he's basically saying the power of the Holy Spirit is now here. That's what's going on here. That's why you see this fire. That's why you hear this sound of wind. And that's why each individual... You, you have a, an obvious manifestation of the supernatural because they're speaking in these languages that they didn't know. Obviously, there's something supernatural going on. So it is, it is a huge, huge moment. And this is very significant because uh, not, uh, not 40 years later, there will there'll be no more temple. The temple will be destroyed. The Romans will destroy it in the year 70 after a four-year-long war. They will end up destroying it. Well, you know, almost a generation before, you have God show people that the power and the presence of the Spirit is not confined to a place. It's on people. And the power and the presence of the Spirit is now for the individual. Now, I don't know about, about how you feel about that, but if that's available today, I, I, I would like that. <laughs> I would like the power and the presence of God in my life on a daily basis, wouldn't you? I mean, in the world that we live in, with the challenges that you face, wouldn't you like the power and the presence of God in your life on a daily basis? You see, when you read the, the New Testament, the, the, norm, the normative experience that we seem to see in the life of this new community of faith is that people have this, this born-again experience of, of faith in Jesus and in His deity and in His resurrection. And uh, then they experience the power of the Spirit in their lives and the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. This seems to be the normative pattern that we observe in the New Testament. This is not the only time we see this, uh, this uh, uh, power of the Spirit comes on people. They speak in these other languages. It's not the only time we see this in the book of Acts. We see it a few times. Uh, Acts chapter 8, we have a, a group of Samaritans who uh, uh, come to faith. And Peter and John go over there and they say, well... These people are disciples, but they have not yet received the Holy Spirit. Bit odd, you know, and so they, they say, well, they, they're, 
they're, they, they followed Jesus, but they haven't yet received the Holy Spirit. And they put their hands on them and pray for them. And it doesn't say what happens, but there's another guy there, and he says, whoa, I like what just happened. Can I give you money so that I can learn how to do the same thing? So something clearly supernatural happened there. And you see this pattern repeated. You see it in Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11 with Cornelius and his household. You see it in Acts chapter 19 with a group of Ephesian believers. So this seems to be the normative pattern we observe. So you say, well, I mean, it sounds it's really odd, really bizarre. Am I supposed to see fire come out of the sky and hear wind blowing and speak in these odd languages? That's what it is. Okay, so I'm going to give you a really simple understanding of how you can be filled with the Holy Spirit today in the 21st century. Really, really simple, all right? Number one, seek the power of God to witness first rather than the sign of tongues. Okay, so... Here's, here's what a lot of people fall into a, a, a trap with when they're thinking about being filled with the Spirit and having the power of the Spirit in their lives. Immediately, they think of these tongues. And this is partly because that's what they've been taught. It's tongues, the tongues, the tongues. And whoever speaks in tongues has been filled with the Spirit. And so you have to speak in tongues or you haven't been filled with the Spirit. And so what people do is they just say, give me these tongues things. I want to see, I want to have the same thing that these people had. And, you know, so, and that's what people seek. And they seek it and seek it and seek it. But all they're seeking is speaking in these languages that they don't know. In no way, shape, or form, is that what, the, what these people in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 were doing? They didn't even have a clue what was going to happen. What they were told is you need to wait in Jerusalem for the power of the Spirit. You look at Acts uh, chapter 1. Jesus tells them this. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You see this different terminologies. Baptized in the Holy Spirit. Gift of the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. All referring, according to the book of Acts, to the same thing. Jesus says absolutely nothing on record about tongues. Nothing. You won't find anything in the Gospels where Jesus is you even using this terminology. You don't find it anywhere. What you find, what he is concerned with, is that these people wait for the power of the Spirit. He doesn't even tell them how they know that they will have received it, as if it will be obvious to them. So the problem is we know a little too much today. We're a little too smart for our own good. And so we, we look at this tongues thing, and we you know, read a few books or whatever, and we say, okay, we got to get these tongues. And then people try to, try to, quote, unquote, speak in tongues, and they can't, and they don't, and they wonder why, at least some of them. Some of them do, some of them don't. And the ones that do sometimes doubt the experience and say, well, maybe I made it up. Maybe I copied it from somebody else. Maybe I'm out of my mind. Maybe I'm crazy, you know, because so much focus on that. And that is not the focus 
of the, of the presence and the power of the Spirit in the book of Acts. It's incidental in the book of Acts, but it is never something that is sought as a priority. It just happens. I mean, if you asked Peter the question, Peter, how did you know that you received the power of the Spirit? Peter would have said, well, I mean, we heard this wind and we saw this fire and we spoke in these languages that we didn't even know. And there people from out of town knew the language. It's pretty obvious to us. Well, Peter, what about that group in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11? How, how do you know that they received the power of the Spirit? And he would look and he'd say, well, I mean, we baptized them and they spoke in these languages. That's the same thing that happened to us. I mean, isn't that enough? That, that, that would settle the case for him. Is he, is he trying to argue that, you know, the only way that you know and the only thing that can happen to you is that, and you must have that and that alone, and that's the priority? No, for him, the power is the priority. For Jesus, power is the priority. And for us, power is the priority. I know a lot of people who, you know, come from Pentecostal uh, circles and they speak in other languages, but I, if I'm being honest, I observe no power in their lives. This is an odd phenomenon. It's not a phenomenon we see in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we see the power of God come on people. The tongues are incidental. They're, they're an indicator but they're not, the, they're not the, the first priority. So you've got to seek the power of God. Why? To make you feel good? To make you feel nice? Well, I mean, presumably when you have the power of God in your life, that would happen. But that's not Jesus' focus. He says you will receive power. You will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And what does he say? When you, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will speak in tongues in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. No, he says, and you will be my witnesses. Now, a witness in that time and that word, that meant that you were uh, in French, témoignage, uh, uh, right? It, it meant uh, maybe you were at a sporting event and you witnessed the sporting event. Maybe you were in a courtroom and you were a witness to something. Or maybe, maybe you were called to a point where you would have to give your life for something. We get the word martyr out of the word that's used for witness back then. It meant you had to, you, you made a, you were present for something significant. You were a witness. You were a, uh, maybe you were giving a testimony again in a courtroom. So there's something public that you stood at or you stood for. Or maybe even worse than that, you were put in a position where your life was on the line for what you were saying or what you were doing. Wow. You will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, where it all started, in Judea, which is the broader province, in Samaria, which is a neighboring province, and Jews and Samaritans there, they didn't get along, and to the rest of the world. Guess what? That includes you, and that includes me. The world's a very big place. You want to be filled with the Spirit today. Seek the power of the Spirit 
to be a witness for Jesus. What's a witness for Jesus? Well, it means that you live your life for him. It means you occasionally talk about him. It means it's a priority in your life to make a stand for Christ in word and in deed. It means if you are called upon to state whether or not you serve him or you don't, you say, yes, I do. It means when you are called upon under pressure to state whether or not you are a Christ follower, you say, yes, I am. That's what a witness is. And you see this in the book of Acts and beyond. People were put under pressure. Even their very lives were put under pressure for their testimony, their witness about Jesus. You want the power of the Spirit in your life? You want to be filled with the Spirit today? Seek His power and rather than the signs of tongues and so on. Those are indicators, those will come, but that is not what you seek. You see the difference? And we make a mistake when we chase after the sign and we do not uh, understand what the power is for. Okay? Number two, um, prioritize being filled with the Spirit when you pray. When you pray, and this is an assumption that you do, okay, that the Scripture makes, well then, prioritize being filled with the Spirit. Pray about being filled with the Spirit. It's curious in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus tells them about this, and then he leaves them, he ascends supernaturally, he's gone from their sight. You see what these folks do. They pray, and they seem to pray a lot. Verse 14, Acts 1, they all join together constantly in prayer. Constantly implies quite a bit. Constantly in prayer. And they've got other people there, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And then we're told there's uh, at least 120 people there. So um, you've, there's, they're, they're focused on prayer. No wonder Jesus told them to wait for the Holy Spirit. Presumably, that's what they're praying about. So the question is, if you want to be filled with the Spirit today, do you pray, Jesus, fill me with the Spirit today? You know, we looked at, uh, on our Wednesday night Bible study uh, last week, we looked at Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7 it is. And you see Daniel is placed in quite a predicament where there is a new law in the land and uh, Darius, his boss, uh, Daniel at the time is a, is a chief administrator in Darius the Medes' kingdom. He is very much atop of the leadership food chain there. And there is a law that is, is passed by Darius in a kind of a sneaky way. There are people who conspire against Daniel, who are jealous against Daniel. And they say the only way we're going to get Daniel out of the picture is something to do with his religion, something to do with his God. So they cook up a new law and they get it sealed and signed and delivered by Darius the Mede, the boss, the king. And the law is you can't pray to any God or any person except Darius. So if you're going to get, if you're praying there's one top person you pray to, and one alone, and it's Darius the king. 
no God, no man, it's Darius the king. And this whole law is cooked up to nail one guy, Daniel. Daniel hears of this new law, and guess what Daniel does? Shaking his boots? No, what does he do? As soon as he hears of the passing of this new law, he goes and he prays. He does the same thing that he's always done. He goes up to his room. He's hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. The Babylonians had taken the, the Jews exiled to Babylon, and then you have the transfer of power from the Babylonians to the Medes and the Persians. You see this in the book of Daniel. Daniel is hundreds of miles away from his city. He's a bigwig in the kingdom there now, but he's maintained his integrity. He's maintained his testimony the whole time. He's a brilliant administrator. He can interpret dreams and so on. And so he, go, he does the same thing he's always done. He goes up to his room, to his house. He's got it all prepared. He's, he's got a window open that faces his city of Jerusalem. It's in ruins. His temple is destroyed. It's hundreds of miles away. He faces it. He kneels down and he prays. And he does this how many times a day, we're told? Three. He prays three times a day. I mean, three times a day. Can you imagine? That means this, this guy's praying 21 times a week. He has a prayer time with God. Impressive, very impressive, 21 times. And it's not just motion, it's not just religion, it's not just a, a, a ritual. This guy, they, they come into his house to trap him, and they, it says they hear him calling out to God for help. And they say, we've got you. You're praying to your God, we've got you. So they go and they tell Darius and they say, listen, there's this Hebrew guy, Daniel. And we caught him. And he's not praying to you, Darius. And Darius is very disturbed by this because Daniel is his friend. Daniel is his, he works for Darius. And so, you know, he's really disturbed by this because the penalty for praying to anybody else but Darius is what? Yeah, you, it's the death penalty, but a really gruesome one, right? Into the pit of lions. So Daniel, he doesn't oppose this, apparently. They go and they grab him, they throw him into the pit of lions, and hopefully you know the rest of the story. Does Daniel live or does Daniel get eaten by lions? He lives. He lives just fine. He says, Darius comes running to the, to the, he can't sleep at night, you know, he can't watch Netflix, he can't have any entertainment, he's up in the middle of the night pacing back and forth. Oh, Daniel, when he throws him into the pit, he says, oh, Daniel, may your God deliver you, you know? And then he gets up in the morning, runs over to the pit of light. Daniel, are you there? And Daniel says, I'm here. I never did anything bad to you, king. I never wronged you. I never did anything bad to you. And God sent his angel and protected me from these lions because I never did anything wrong. And so he comes out of the, out of the pit. And what does Darius do? He's angry at this point. Darius. You remember what he does? He says, you round up all of those people who conspired against Daniel, the whole lot of them, and bring all of their families and throw them into the den of lions. It's not a believer or anything like that. It's a harsh world, harsh time. And he throws them all in and they're gone in seconds. Before they even reach the bottom, they're gone. 
the prayer focus of this man, Daniel, is impressive. Why don't you prioritize being filled with the Holy Spirit when you pray? You really want the power of God in your life. You really want the presence of the Spirit. You really want to be filled with the Spirit. Well then, pray about it. Because if you never pray about it, it's likely not going to, there's likely not going to be much that happens, right? And you're going to kind of live wondering, you know, do I have God's power in my life today or don't I? And remember, I'm not talking about tongues and signs and all of these things. I'm talking about the power to be a witness in your world. And number three, well then, start being a witness in your words and in your actions. Get out there and share your faith. Be who you are. Live your life with integrity and with holiness and with the stamp of God on your life. You claim to be a Christ follower. Live it. Show it. Say it. In word and in deed. All you have to do is be yourself. Now you say, but that's hard. I'm going to get made fun of. I'm going to get persecuted. People are going to think I'm a nutcase. Well, did they think that Daniel was a nutcase? No. This guy went to the top of the pecking order in the leadership structure of Babylon, of the Medes. He was right at the top of the food chain. He didn't compromise. He just stayed with what he was, and he was who he was with authenticity, with integrity, and with the power and the presence of God in his life. And this is pre-Pentecost. This is hundreds and hundreds of years before this Pentecostal thing in Acts chapter 2, and you see the power of God in Daniel's life. This guy, they, they go to him to interpret dreams. I mean, he is so gifted. The mark of God is so strong on his life. He can interpret a dream you see in the book of Daniel in the early chapters without being told what the dream is. Nebuchadnezzar has these repeated nightmares. He wants to know what they mean. He thinks they mean something, that he's getting some kind of divine message about something. And he says, you know what, unless the, the people who claim to be able to interpret my dreams can tell me my dream, then I'm not going to believe them. I want somebody to tell me what I dreamt without me telling them and then interpret it for me. Hey, then I'll know for sure this dude is for real. There's only one man who can do it in the whole kingdom, only one, and it's Daniel. He's able to, where does he get that from? That's the power of God in his life. And he's a witness in his actions. He's a witness in his words. Go out and do it. Go out and be it. Um, there, are, there are studies now and statistics that are coming out. These are largely based in the U.S. When, when church studies are done, they're typically done in the U.S., but, but what they're finding is that the majority of, of Christians in the U.S. find that evangelism is not a priority in their lives. They don't think it's necessary. Don't think it's necessary to share the gospel. Excuse me? That's what we're here for. <laughs> we didn't plant this church so that we could have nice coffee and put you know, projection on the screen. We planted this church to reach people who were far from God. That's a challenge. That's a real challenge. It's really difficult to do. But that's the reason why we did it. 
It's not to play and, you know, make a cool church with lights and internet and all that. It's to reach people who are far from God. What are you doing to share your faith with your neighbor? That's what Pentecost is about. It's not about whether or not you've got tongues. It's whether or not you've got power to share who you are and to share the gospel in your words and in your actions. And I'll leave you with, with, with a, a challenge on that, a question to ask yourself. And Simon and Viano, if you're in the room, you can come and get ready to play. I'll leave you with a challenge and a question. It's Pentecost Sunday 2022. It's a question that I've asked repeatedly over the last six years since we launched this church, six, almost six years ago. In your life, you, you claim to be a Christ follower. That's good. The, the light switch of faith went on. You're following after Jesus. You're, you're, you're learning his word. You're trying to live Christianly. All of that, that's all good. But let me ask you a penetrating question. Who have you led to Christ in your life? Is there one person in your life who is now a Christ follower because of your influence? One person. The, the, our purpose statement as a church is to reach the one who is far from God so that together we would become passionate followers of Jesus. What does a passionate follower of Jesus do? Come to church? Okay. Give their tithes? Okay. Uh, live godly life? Okay, okay. But what, does a pa what really does a passionate follower of Jesus do? They share their faith. They go and they make disciples, just as Jesus said. And that's the challenge of Pentecost. That's why we need the power of the Spirit. You cannot, you cannot be a witness for Christ alone. My friends, sometimes you're going to face the heat situation and your Christianity has to come out. If it does not come out, Where's the power in your life? That's why you need the power of God when you're in your school and you're facing a heat situation where you can go in one direction and that direction is going to lead you to destruction or you're going to go the other direction, say no to the crowd and that direction and that choice is going to protect you from destruction. But the catch is it's because of Jesus that you're going to do that. How are you going to have the guts to make a stand, young people, without the power of the Spirit? How? How, when you're in your family and you're in your place of work, adults and so on, how, how are you going to have the courage to make a stand for Christ when you need to without the power of the Spirit? I see no other option but to seek His power. So seek that power, prioritize that when you pray, and get out there and be a witness for Christ. Father, we thank you today for you present the gift of the Spirit to all, regardless of our uh, denomination, regardless of our opinion about uh, signs and evidences and tongues and not tongues. You still wait to pour your power out on people's individual lives today. So Lord, I pray for each person 
in this room, each person online, people who are going to watch and listen to recordings later, you would impact us with the priority and the need to seek your power on a daily basis in our lives. You would be with young people, with uh, adults, with seniors, with people in all different situations. God, be it the, the hospital room or the special effects department. God, be it the, the restaurant or the school. Be it the office building. Or Lord, that you would be with people and Christ would come out of people's lives and be on display for this world to see we pray in jesus name amen god bless you today uh, i'll say happy shavuot <laughs> and uh, you know you can eat sweets today in the in jewish homes they have uh, a type of sweet called blintzes today really nice tasty pastry so go and enjoy yourselves this sunday god bless you and prioritize the spirit in your life remember pick up your kids over in screen number 11 god bless you everyone
shout hallelujah thank you jesus lord you're worthy of all the glory all the honor all the praise it makes me wanna shout hallelujah 